I'm Ann DeLisi. I'm Rob Reinhardt. And we're about to bring back the perfect opportunity to honor your favorite pet and support WDET. During our spring fundraiser, Ann and I will combine our shows so you can honor your dog. Or your cat. Or your dog. And WDET with a gift of support. We're looking forward to hearing about your pets, no matter what kind of cat that is. Cats and dogs and any other pet you may have will be part of our fundraiser. And if you can't wait till the weekend, make your gift now at WDET.org slash give. Or call 800-959-9338. Hi, I'm Ann Delisi. And I'm Chef James Regato. And in today's episode of Essential Cooking, James tells me about the inspiration he got from his recent trip to Japan. Well, you have been uh, the world traveler these days. A little bit. A little bit of a world traveler. And I have heard you say wonderful things about places that you have gone to and you've traveled the world, but not quite as animated about this trip to Japan. It's true. You know, everyone's always told me how amazing Japan is. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I've always wanted to go, but... um, Obviously, in recent years, they've been really shut down. And even right now, you have to have a work visa. So you can't just show up as a tourist. So you can't just go? Correct. You have to have a very good reason to go, um, such as a work visa or a, or a planned travel group approved by the government. So it was really it was really difficult. I mean, I had to go to the consulate, get a, you know, get a work visa, download a bunch of apps, get, get approved through, you know, multiple different sources and I took three different PCRs just to be safe, printed everything off in case when I got, you know, over there. I even actually, my app wasn't downloading because I landed in Japan, Tokyo, and then I couldn't get my app to work that I needed. So I actually had already printed off my QR codes, Mm -hmm. you know, so like it was, it was a little stressful getting there. But um, once you got out of the airport, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a different world. And and I've been to Asia before and Asia is, is I think a really immersive, you know, continent. You're, you're just completely swept away you know, into a, into a new world. Obviously the language barriers there and the, and the, and the really old cultures, Right. you know, we obviously live in a pretty new culture here and yeah, but Tokyo was just like, I think Tokyo is the best city in the world as far as how society functions, you know, the amount of people that it's like, I think it's like 30 million in the greater area or something crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we could, you could probably Wikipedia that, but it's, it's the largest population in the world in one city and it feels as like tidy and calm as like Grand Rapids. You know what I mean? Like I was like walking around. I mean, it's, granted there's not a lot of tourists right now, but still the residents, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of people that live there mm-hmm. and it was just spotless and quiet and calm. And like, even in a very busy neighborhood, it's like quiet and polite. You know, you go to a busy restaurant, it's just quiet and polite. It's just, there's a, there's a social contract of service there. You know, you take care of others and others take care of you. Um, one of the things that you mentioned to me to that point was how safe you felt there and how you felt that children were safe there. Yeah, there's definitely, um, there's like no real fear of the crime that we deal with here. And obviously it's ironic because, you know, Abe, their prime minister mm-hmm. was just assassinated, which right. is terrible. And it's a, it's a, it was a shock to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I, I was there, I think a week later, so that you can right. definitely, there's a heaviness with that, but that's such a rare thing. I mean, you never... I mean, I didn't even see an argument. You don't, you don't even see like a, a, a fussiness in people. There's a very tolerant um, politeness. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I talked to some locals, you know, as, as much as I could, obviously, without speaking Japanese. And I think there's definitely pressure in the community to like, I think the younger generation probably feels like, you know, there's a lot of pressure and they want to travel and kind of go to other 
countries. So, you know, it's not like it's a utopia. There's definitely Mm -hmm. um, issues that I think the generations will have inside Japan and they have a very aging population. So there's definitely a lot of interesting things with that, but in general, yeah, you feel so comfortable and so safe and, and so taken care of that it's, it's, it's overwhelming, especially to come home. I had culture shock coming home. Uh It's just like, Oh, it's so loud and crazy. And like, all the vehicles here, you know, just are so loud. Like there, I feel like everything's like, even the semi trucks are like buzzing instead of like roaring down the street. And this, this is not even touching on food yet. This is just, this is just getting off the plane and walking around and being in the neighborhood. It's, it's, uh, I mean, everyone's always told me great things and I just, nothing could have prepared me for how much I loved it. Could you imagine living there? The language barrier is the only thing that I would Uh, stress. mm -hmm. Um, you know, Japanese is a very different language. It's like one of the more one of the more uh, difficult ones to learn in the world. I think next to like Mandarin, and it's just the whole, you know there's three different styles of writing. It's obviously composed uh, differently. You read it, you know, differently, and mm-hmm. it's also the the transit translations to English are are interesting because there's a politeness that we don't have. So there's a lot of sayings that are like you know almost we would consider to be like useless because it's basically a a, a, a formality of mm. politeness. So just translating it is really unique. Um, but other than that, absolutely. I mean, I'm kind of neurotic the way that I like to live my life. Mm-hmm. I like things very tidy. Um, so immediately I was like soothed in a way that I haven't felt in a, visiting another city before is like everything's just so tight and tidy and clean and, and professional. So I think a lot of chefs would probably feel comfortable in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then, yeah, as far as the, I mean, I could eat there every single day. So, yeah, we should definitely talk about the food. This is essential cooking after all. Um, did you know what to expect when you got there? Did you already have a sense of what you were walking into when it came to the food culture? Or um, even as much as you've traveled and as much as you know about food, were you still pretty surprised or kind of, you know, like, wow, I had no idea like those moments? I definitely was prepared for uh, the restaurants that I sought out, you know, so the the sushi shops, the ramen, the okonomiyaki, the, uh, you know, kind of the hibachi, the teppanyaki, like a lot of, a lot of like the, you know, the, the, the dramatic kind of cooking and the, in the, and the things that you're looking after in this industry, like, like the sushi chef is like a, is like, he's like the maitre d', of mm. the, you know, he's like, he's like hosting the experience. You go to the hibachi, you know, there's a chef that's really, I mean, guiding your experience. It's like there's so much theater that it, I kind of, I, I've researched and I've watched a lot of, um, you know, content. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think I was, I think I was prepared for what, what they were going to look like and how it was going to feel. But the flavors and the freshness and, and, and the diversity of items was just super uh stimulating. Like we went to the fish market. We did a, we did a really wonderful omakase sushi tasting with this chef Daisuke, a really talented uh, individual, second generation sushi maker. His grandfather worked at the fish market. So he took us through the fish market, which tourists aren't allowed to go to. It's only oh. for like locals and vendors and stuff. So we walked the entire fish market, which is massive. It's basically like, the, you know, it like dwarfs like the Eastern market and it's all seafood. And you're seeing I mean, all different, you know, fugu, the poisonous blowfish, you know, right. sharks, you're seeing live crab, you're seeing different kinds of bivalves and mollusks and shellfish that I've never even seen or heard of before. It was uh, really, it was really intoxicating to be in this area of like, what is even happening here? Like, I'm a chef. I've been cooking for 26 years. <laughs> I have no idea what's going on right now. And it's, it was and amazing. This, and this is a daily market yeah. only for 
basically industry, essentially. Industry. You know, yeah, some some kinds of. So every single day. Oh yeah, I mean, this I, market. You know, and that's a good question. I don't know. I mean, I think it's every day. I didn't. I didn't ask that. I mean, it's got to be every day. But I, I mean, would imagine. I mean, with that many yeah, people that they're feeding yeah. every day, right? And they do the tuna auction where they obviously auction oh, right. off in, in, in the in a blue a whole bluefin is is way bigger than you expect. I mean, is it? It's like a couple a few hundred pounds. It's a massive fish, and to watch these guys break down the tuna with these essentially swords, you know, the way that you actually process a tuna. Is there a lot of? I mean, you must be able to feel the history here, like that there is a protocol that has been around for a very long time uh, and that some of those things are still in place. I, there's got to be something really fascinating and you must be able to feel all of that history there. You can. Japan's one of those countries that's, you know, has a wonderful ancient culture, but it's also incredibly modern. So right. you're constantly going through time travel there, whether you're walking in one of the old temples mm-hmm. and then, and then you, you know, yeah, you go to the, you know, I mean, they have, robots that cook for you you can go and get a hot sweet potato vending machine you know you're, <laughs> you're absolutely living in the future all the taxi cabs the doors open automatically you know the taxi drivers are like wearing suits and like it's just uh it's such a it's such a dynamic place because yeah you can you can go to things you can experience something that feels so timeless right the tea service we went did a, oh, right. we went did a tea tasting where this you know this gentleman just kept basically hydrating these different tea leaves and sometimes he would rehydrate and you'd get like second and third washes of green tea. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, you eat the tea with chopsticks. <gasps> and it was just such a, it felt so ancient. It felt like this is something that they were, you know, somebody was doing a thousand years ago. And then, but yeah, the, but then you go and you, you, you have a robot you know, mm-hmm. making your food. So like there's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it has a little bit of everything. I, th- I think maybe I'm being romantic and there are obviously experts of Japanese culture that I, you know, I'm, I'm barely scratching the surface, but I think it's it represents a lot of like the best of what humanity can offer as far as technology and and uh, you know, infrastructure. I mean, the roads and the subway are essentially perfect, and the way that they treat each other, the unspoken social contract of just how to treat each other. And I think that's I that's intoxicating. For you know, in America, it's all about the individual freedom. It's about me versus everyone else. And in Japan, it's about the functioning of society and and, and the service to each other and what do we owe each other. And even their relationship with death, like death happens. It's not, it's not this like unspeakable act. It's this like part of life. And I, I was just, it was, it was, it was enough for me to want to go back so bad that I, all the places I was thinking about going next were basically dwarfed. And now I just mm-hmm. want to go back to Japan. When you have a food experience like that, um, do you get inspired to come back and cook? And do all of these thoughts go through your head about things that you want to make or things you want to try or flavors you haven't? I mean, you've pretty much used every ingredient possible, I have to imagine. But um, just the inspiration to want to cook differently or try new things? How does that feel when you come back from an experience like that as a chef? Definitely. Most places I go, it's, it's very, uh, it's very cut and dry. It's like, wow, I had an amazing dish or I tasted this new combination. I'm going to do that. Japan was, there's like, it's like, usually I'm doing, you know, 
arithmetic and this was like, you know, quantum physics. So that uh, there's, there's definitely, I mean, ramen is something I love making and mm-hmm. I feel confident because ramen is such like a hybrid. It's obviously it's, it's origins are in China and Japan. Everyone's kind of doing their own thing. It's very, very open to interpretation. Like right. ramen, ramen is like kind of like pizza. It's like, however you make it, if it's delicious, then it's delicious. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of um, strict, you know, kind of rules around it. So I always felt comfortable making ramen and I definitely want to do like a ramen pop-up at Mabel one day. Like oh, that soon. would be great. I, I, I really love ramen and think about it often. But other than that, like sushi is something I'll never, I'll never make. I just, I, I just, I have so much respect for sushi mm-hmm. and the way that it's um, articulated in the relationship with the rice. I mean, even this sushi chef Daisuke that we, we hung out with, I mean, he was, he ba- goes and buys rice directly from the farmers and has a relationship with rice. Like long before he even thinks about butchering a piece of fish, he's like, he's invested in just the rice. And so we just don't have the relationship with rice farmers here in America. And that, so like, I feel like we, we don't even have step one down. Mm-hmm. I don't feel confident like running a sushi concept and not, not against anything those that do, but to me, it's uh it's just like, it's, it's something I don't, I don't feel like I, I have the right to do, mm-hmm. but certain things, okonomiyaki. I mean, that's kind of their, their fun kind of pancake. It's like a cabbage and, you know, so they had different different proteins like pork belly and shrimp. It's kind of like a funky stuffed pancake um, topped with a bunch of crazy sauces and garnishes. And and that that too, that's kind of like a diner food, kind of loosey-goosey thing. So I feel like I definitely want to do an okonomiyaki soon. Mm-hmm. But a lot of that cuisine is so – I mean, you have individuals that they really focus on craftsmanship of one or two singular things. So you're dealing with somebody who does this every day, six days a week, you know – for their entire lives, probably multi-generational. And so to get inspired to like, oh, I'm going to try it. Like the jack of all trades mentality really doesn't exist there. You know, it's more about singularity. Mm-hmm. So it's, as a chef, it's uh, it's a little dizzying because I'm like, okay, I want to get better at singular things. Um, and so it's, it's uh, I need to go there more. I need to go there more and kind of really, really, you know, drink from the cup. Mm-hmm. But I think ramen is ramen and okonomiyaki are things that I'm ready to like do right now because they're fun, right. they're fast, they're meant to like nourish and feed and, and be quick and easy. So those things I think are are uh, you'll see me doing in the near future. Do you see any American influence over there? Well, Japan, food wise, especially. Yeah, definitely. You know, there's a lot of Italian influence. The Japanese mm-hmm. uh, love Italian cuisine, so you see a lot of pasta restaurants, a lot of pizza restaurants. Um, McDonald's is there, but obviously McDonald's is run entirely different. It's like professional and, you know, it's really, I mean, it's really tidy, mm-hmm. but you know, you see, you definitely see American, I mean, Japan by nature doesn't like really invent a lot. They basically take something and just improve it. I mean, if you look at like the automobile, sushi originally comes from Korea, ramen comes from China, you know, they just, they have a tendency to like find something and make it absolutely the best it can be. So you, yeah, I mean, the automobile, right? The, the car, I mean, the, obviously that's a, that's a no brainer, but you just see so much innovation. So there's definitely American influence, rock and roll. I mean, my friend that I was over there with um, is the president of Fender in Asia. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, you know, the electric guitar, I mean, the, the, the rock and roll culture that's there, yep. that's very American. Um, so yeah, you see it. It's, it's, and there's a lot of respect for America. I felt very um, comfortable. And, you know, even in my bumbling, you know, kind of like tourist gaijin, as they call tourists, <laughs> um, you know, nature, they were, they were incredibly hospitable. So yeah, you see, you see a lot of American um, products, but just kind of innovated to the top level. 
I'd like to thank you for listening and... We would like to thank LaMarca Prosecco for their support. From the hills of Veneto, Italy, you can never go wrong with Prosecco, whether it's in a spritz or drinking straight. Essential Cooking is produced by me, and Alicia, along with my co-host, James Regato. This episode was edited, mixed, and mastered by Sam Bobian, with production support from David Lyons. Original music by the Mallet Brothers. Essential Cooking is a production of WDET, Detroit's NPR station. 